So, Faye, it's getting really close to July, and so that means that there's going to be a lot of new folks coming into the hospital, and they're all going to be asking not only, oh, my God, you're the Creagas Over Coffee people, but also what can you read or what can you do? Yeah, definitely. One of the biggest things that I use to help me study both for um, my oral boards that are coming up, but also just in my general everyday life is actually the OBG project. Yeah, in particular for residents, they have an exclusive resource right now called the Resident Core, um, which is a comprehensive resource for education, kind of like an open source curriculum. Um, it's free to all residents. You just head on over to our website at creagsovercoffee.com or to the OBG Project website, and you can learn more and get signed up. Absolutely. And if you are a fourth year resident, if you're a rising chief, you can actually get OBG first absolutely free, which is their premium subscription process um, that allows you to create your own libraries and bookmark some of your favorite articles from the website. So again, if you're interested, head on over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com. You can check out the sidebar and find out how to get either that free year of OBG first as a chief resident or to get signed up for the resident core for every other resident out there. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. All right, so today on the show, we're going to talk about not a headache, but managing headaches in pregnancy. So Faye, what are our learning objectives today? So today we're going to be learning about the different types of headaches. We are going to understand the warning signs and symptoms of headaches specifically, and then discuss treatments for headaches and migraines in pregnancy, which I think this was an episode that one of our listeners um, had really requested. So Nick, start us off. What are the different types of headaches that we should be aware of? I like to qualify this to start by saying that I'm not a neurologist. Dr. Lababera of our residency fame, if you're listening to us, please do not criticize me too closely here. Um, but there are lots of different types of headaches. So let's go over some of the more common ones. I think the one that we like classically associate and think about as obstetricians are migraine headaches. So migraines are episodic, usually manifest as unilateral headaches, and are sometimes associated with nausea and or light or sound sensitivity. Migraines as a disorder affect 12 to 15% of the general population, and the headaches themselves are really long often. They can occur over several hours to even several days. With migraine headaches, there are different phases that you can break things up into. So there's a prodromal phase that can occur in up to 77% of people um, who suffer from migraine disorders. And this is usually symptoms of things like increased yawning, feelings of depression or irritability, food cravings, neck stiffness, what I sound like when I'm post-call, truthfully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, next, there can be an aura, and 25% of people with migraine disorders will experience an aura that is often gradual, sometimes visual in the form of like bright lines in the visual field or auditory with things like tinnitus, somatosensory motor, or even sort of like smell type of things that, again, just precede the headache. Next onset is the headache, again, that is usually described as a unilateral throbbing headache that is, again, associated with light sound sensitivity or nausea. 
And then postromal, um, which also can be a phase for some folks with migraine disorders where the head movement may cause pain and location of the previous headache. Um, again, so though the headache itself may have gone away or resolved, head movements can exacerbate that pain or cause it to come back a little bit. Triggers are often part of the migraine story and can be different for different people. Um, common triggers can include things like the menstrual cycle, stress, um, things along those lines, basically. Attention headache is the next category that we should talk about, um, which are usually moderate intensity headaches with a bilateral non-throbbing quality. And I think people will often describe pressure um, and the feeling of like, a tight band around their head in that sort of like headband area. Um, again, these tension headaches are precipitated usually by stress, as the name might imply. Cluster headache is the next category, and these are fairly uncommon, um, but are important to be aware of that these are really, really severe headaches that can be accompanied by autonomic symptoms and come in clusters. It falls into the categories of things known as trigeminal autonomic cephalasias, or TACs. Um, and again, I will let the neuro colleagues go into that a little bit more, but again, sort of falls into that trigeminal nerve distribution, and you might remember things like trigeminal neuralgia from way back in medical school. The headaches themselves are usually characterized by severe orbital, supraorbital, or temporal pain that are accompanied by autonomic features, things such as ptosis, meiosis, tearing, rhinorrhea, or nasal congestion on the same side as the pain. Cluster headaches, though, even though they're unilateral, are different from migraines because these patients usually prefer to move around or pace and are often restless. Um, those with migraines, and particularly if you've experienced a migraine before, you often go want to lay down in a dark room. Um, and so the cluster headaches, again, are much more uncommon and have a much different presentation, though they're both unilateral headaches. And I guess the last thing that we should mention are secondary headaches. So these are headaches that are caused by some underlying issue, and these are things that we may need to be worried about. Benign causes can be things like sinusitis or upper respiratory infections, reasons that you might just feel under the weather. But then other causes might be idiopathic intracranial hypertension, tumors, bleeding. So again, you got to keep a broad differential with respect to a new headache, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So, Faye, why don't I turn it over to you for exactly that, the evaluation of the headaches. Yeah, so I always think about anytime you want to evaluate anything, you want to get your history, your physical, and then you can get your labs and imaging, right? And so your history is going to be your usual history. You're going to ask about your the onset of the headaches. You know, is this something that is typical for them? Has this been happening for the last 20 years or has it just been today? Presence of things like aura or prodrome, frequency, intensity, things like that, um, things that make it better, things that make it worse, how many headaches they have a month, site of headache or other symptoms that are associated with the headache. And then you always want to also ask about things like current medications because there are things like medication overuse headaches um, or also certain meds that can lead to headaches. And then you want to also ask about certain things that may have triggered this headache. And especially worrisome are things like changes in the patient's vision, if there's been associated trauma, and then also other things like changes in their work or lifestyle, maybe increased stress in certain aspects of their life, and also the timing around their menstrual cycle for our female patients. 
But the physical exam is also very important. The biggest thing is always going to be blood pressure and pulse, especially in pregnancy, right? You never want to miss severe preeclampsia that is then going to progress into eclampsic seizure. So you always want to make sure that that patient, if it's not preeclampsia, has normal blood pressure. And then you want to do a systematic evaluation of the head, neck, and shoulder. A lot of time patients can have a tension headache. They can have like muscle, like a musculoskeletal cause of the headache. And sometimes if you're palpating in that area, you may notice um, some patients have like very tense muscles in the back of their neck or in their shoulders that then leading to them to tense up and cause a tension headache. But also if they do have trauma, you may notice that they may have issues in their skull or, you know, in um, other aspects of their shoulders or their neck that may require further evaluation. And finally, you do want to conduct a full neuro exam and maybe you need some help from your emergency room, family medicine, neurology colleagues in doing all of this if we don't remember this all from medical school. But it is super, super important for us to catch some of those really important neurological signs that could tell us about a secondary headache. So for example, we had one patient that came into the emergency room complaining about a headache that just wouldn't go away. She was pregnant. There was some concern that she may have preeclampsia, but then she told us that she was basically seeing double. And so calling up some of my ophthalmology colleagues, um, they asked me to check if this patient was still seeing double when she covered up one of her eyes or if it went away with, you know, covering up one of her eyes. She actually only saw double when she had both of her eyes open. And that was a sign that there was some cranial nerve compression going on. And that really led them to come running to go and see her instead of potentially just seeing double with one eye, which apparently I learned the most likely cause is dry eye and they will not come running for dry eye. Imaging techniques that we should use are things like CTs or MRIs, which are our most common modalities, and then also definitely consider imaging if there are danger signs that you're seeing in their history or their physical, like we saw with this patient. And then also consider lumbar puncture if there is concern for infection. So if somebody's coming to you with like sleepiness, altered mental status, fevers, things like that. So we talked a little bit about some of the things that we may need to be worried about, Nick, but talk to me like, you know, what are definitely things that we should worry about for a headache? And also, what are some low-risk features, things that if a patient tells us, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is probably just like a usual headache that we've talked about before? Totally. I think headache triage is really, really challenging, and you did an awesome job talking us through the eval, Fay. I think some things that in your history that can help reassure you that things might be more okay, that you can feel more confident that things are okay, are patients who are under age 50 who are at much less risk for stroke. If the features are typical of the primary headache classes, so either classic migraine, tension headache, cluster headache, or the patient has a history of similar headaches and no change in their usual headache or new symptoms that would be worrisome. Um, and then lastly, of course, if you can't find any abnormal neurologic symptoms, that would make you feel really good too. But you have to examine it to be able to find if it's abnormal. Things that should make you worry um, with respect to new headaches are things like fever, abrupt onset of headaches, older age of the patient, or the presence of a neurologic deficit, including altered mental status, any history of malignancy or tumors, um, and then if you've got your ophthalmoscope out or you have an emergency medicine colleague doing ophthalmic ultrasounds, the presence of papilledema. I'm definitely going to have to get my emergency medicine colleagues to come and do that. I've never seen the back of an eye. Yeah, nope, neither have I. Other things that can make you worry are, from a history perspective, any change in the previous pattern of headaches, a headache that 
particularly comes on with positional changes, headaches that are occurring post-trauma, any sort of painful eye syndrome or changes in vision, as Faye just alluded to. And then, of course, pregnancy should make you be worried about a headache. Do we think that this is preeclampsia? Taking it up a notch from there, if a patient comes in and has something like a thunderclap headache, worst headache of my life, or they have visualized Horner syndrome, so ptosis, meiosis, and that lack of sweating on the one side, other neurologic deficits or concern for meningitis or encephalitis, or again, if you see papilledema, or if there's a history of a possible carbon monoxide exposure, those are all reasons to again crank up your, the emergency level of your evaluation because those may be signs or symptoms of stroke, compression, or again, carbon monoxide exposure. Let's just make the assumption now that we have a classic headache, not a secondary headache that we're worried about something crazy going on that we need our neuro or optho or emergency medicine friends to really take care of or handle for us. What are typical headache treatments that we should be thinking about? Yeah, so let's break this down a little bit into outside of pregnancy and in pregnancy. Not that there's a ton of differences, but there are just a few that I wanted to highlight. So in talking about things like migraine tension and cluster headache treatments, for migraines, definitely start with the, your basic analgesics, your NSAIDs, your Tylenol, just to see if those work. Treating earlier in the course is definitely going to be more effective. So starting as soon as that migraine starts to come on is going to be much more effective than once that migraine has been going on for several hours. However, if that patient is not responding to these medications, you can then consider things like triptans or even ergots. And if it's still severe, you can consider IV medications like Tordal or a dopamine receptor blocker. So things like prochlorperazine and metoclopramide. Some patients may need to even be on medications like triptans or beta blocker to prevent migraines from coming on. And so first-line agents would be things like propanolol, amitriptyline, or topiramate. And I have to be honest, I have never actually started somebody on a migraine prophylaxis medication. So I would definitely need to send these patients to a neurologist for them to evaluate and then to start on these medications. In terms of tension headaches, these are probably the easier ones at least to treat because usually these patients will get better with things like rest or hydration, basically removing them from that stressful situation. And if that doesn't work, then, you know, things like NSAIDs or acetaminophen, and you can even consider things like, again, caffeine, metoclopramide, diphenhydramine, things like that. A cluster headache is a little bit different, and that's because the mainstay treatment is actually oxygen. And so if you have this, you should definitely try it. And I do remember we had this one time in our triage um, when we were in residency where someone came in and they had this like classic, classic cluster headache presentation and we gave them 100% oxygen via nasal cannula and they actually got better. If it's not available, then you can consider some subcutaneous sumatriptan, three to six milligrams. And you can also use intranasal sumatriptan if the sub-Q is not available. Again, I have never given this medication myself, so definitely would need to call my neuro colleagues to come help out. You would actually administer the sumatriptan intranasally to the contralateral side that the patient is actually having symptoms on. And that's just because with cluster headaches and other trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias, these patients will have rhinorrhea or nasal congestion on the same side as the pain, and it be, may be more difficult for them to absorb that medication intranasally. Prevention is actually with verapamil, which is the agent of choice. And remember that these cluster headaches are called cluster headaches because they come on in clusters. Like they, someone can have them, get better, 
and then get them again in another 15 or 30 minutes and continue to have them for the course of the next day or so. So just because they start to feel better in your emergency room, it's not enough to just be able to send them home. You should give them a preventative medication so that they're not back in 30 minutes. You can also start some of these patients with a very short course of prednisone. And again, this is to treat those clusters. All right, Nick, so we talked a little bit about treatment of headache outside of pregnancy. Let's now talk about in pregnancy. And let's particularly focus on some of these medications because I think a lot of these medications can be used in pregnancy and so we can treat a lot of these headaches the same way. But are there dangers to some of these medications and what are medications we should avoid? Yeah, so I think the first thing, because we mentioned Tylenol and NSAIDs as sort of the outlying first-line treatment for you know, particularly migraine headaches, which are going to be far and away the most common things that we encounter. But NSAIDs, as you guys probably remember, are risky in pregnancy, particularly in the third trimester, because they may cause premature closure of the ductus arteriosus in the fetus. Um, additionally, first trimester NSAID use can be predisposed to some kind of embryopathy. And so avoidance of NSAIDs is typically advised in pregnancy, those short courses for issues under close surveillance is appropriate in some instances. What we would recommend is starting headache treatment with Tylenol using something like 650 milligrams or 1,000 milligrams, and then adding something like metoclopramide. Um, metoclopramide, surprisingly enough, has really great efficacy, not just for nausea, but also for headaches too. Um, and I found it particularly helpful for patients with migraine in pregnancy. Additional medications can include combination therapies like the butalbital, acetaminophen, caffeine, combo pills. Other options include antihistamines like diphenhydramine or prochlorperazine. Again, some of these headaches may be associated with nausea and vomiting, and so getting some of those antihistamines or um, the metoclopramide on board can actually be sort of killing two birds with one stone, if you will. Fluid and dehydration, again, is also really common in pregnancy, particularly in the first, early, second trimesters. And so fluids can often be helpful in the treatment of headaches, again, particularly if nausea and vomiting is present too. Magnesium is also a therapy that can sometimes help in the acute setting as well in the form of magnesium sulfate or magnesium oxide. If someone has frequent headaches, there's also some data that magnesium can help prevent headaches and is also a very safe medication to use in pregnancy. So sending someone home with magnesium oxide is also a good idea if they're kind of coming in frequently with concerns for headaches to the clinic or the emergency department. Sort of beyond what we've talked about already with sort of NSAIDs, acetaminophen, some of those antihistamines or metoclopramide, um, and then magnesium, the sort of next line thing you might consider in pregnancy could be opioids, um, but we really try to stay away from opioids. They're really not optimal for the treatment of headaches and can worsen other issues in pregnancy like nausea, vomiting, constipation, not to mention sort of the addiction abuse risk that's associated with opioids. Triptans are also sort of a last line agent if patients are not responding to anything else. Most studies demonstrate that tryptin exposure in pregnancy is not associated with bad outcomes, um, though to qualify most of studies are with sumatriptan. 
Long-term tryptin use in pregnancy should really be discussed individually with the patient because there's only limited data. There's no increased risk of major malformation based on those limited data registries, um, but patients should ideally try to use other medications first just because we don't have the data to assure safety in pregnancy. Other therapies to consider for refractory headaches include things like glucocorticoids or peripheral nerve blocks, probably in that instance calling your neurology colleagues because, I don't know, I've gotten much more comfortable sticking needles in strange places as a maternal fetal medicine fellow, but I've never done like a peripheral nerve block aside from like a pudendal block at delivery. And so, I think I've seen like an occipital block once when I was yeah. an intern, so definitely would not be comfortable doing that myself. So yeah, definitely neuro can be really helpful here. The last thing that we'll mention is just one medication that is worth avoiding, and that's ergotamine. Um, ergotamine is actually closely related to methyl ergonavine, which you might remember is methergen, which we use in postpartum hemorrhage because it helps the uterus contract down. So ideally, you shouldn't use ergotamine in pregnancy because that will cause tetanic uterine contractions and not be good for your patients. I think that sort of is self-explanatory at that point. So... Faye, we've done it. We've talked about headaches in and out of pregnancy. Um, so why don't we summarize? Sure. So we first started by talking about the different types of headaches. We discussed migraines, tension headaches, cluster headaches, and secondary headaches, and just talking a little bit about how they're different. So remember, migraines are episodic disorders. They're usually unilateral and can have several phases, like a prodrome, an aura, a headache, and then a postdrome, and can certainly be triggered by different things for different people, things like menstrual cycles, stress, stuff like that. A tension headache is usually what we describe as a bilateral non-throbbing headache that is it has this band like quality like someone's like squeezing your head in that headband area and is usually precipitated by stress cluster headaches are definitely different and is a type of trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia which um, can be caused by things which can then lead to severe orbital superorbital or temporal pain and also have autonomic features um, things like horner syndrome you know the ptosis meiosis tearing rhinorrhea nasal congestion and finally, secondary headaches are just headaches that are caused by other things and can sometimes be worrisome. So it could be as simple as something like a headache being caused by sinusitis, but also you want to look for things like idiopathic intracranial hypertension or tumors or even brain bleeds. In terms of the evaluation of a headache, again, history, physical should come first. Again, you want to know about the usual history of headaches, whether there's a usual history of headaches, asking about things like the presence of an aura or prodrome, the frequency intensity of the headache, whether these are things that have happened before or if it's brand new, and then whether there's any changes in vision, association with trauma, or other things that might predispose you to think about a secondary headache. The physical exam, again, blood pressure and pulse. You should always focus on blood pressure and pulse, particularly in pregnancy. It's bad to miss preeclampsia with a headache. Again, a full neuro exam is also indicated in patients with headaches um, to ensure, again, that you're not missing a secondary headache cause. Labs and imaging, CT, MRI are the most common imaging modalities, particularly if there are any danger signs. And don't forget about using lumbar puncture if you're concerned for meningitis. In terms of things for low-risk 
uh, features of headaches where we think that maybe things are more okay and these are patients who may not necessarily need to have a head scan are things like age less than 50 years, features that are typical of the patient's primary headache. So if they have migraines and they tell you this is exactly like my migraine headaches, you probably are less worried. Again, history of similar headaches, no changes in the usual signs and symptoms of their headaches, and no abnormal neurologic symptoms. Things that should make you worry are things like presence of a fever, abrupt onset, older age, neurologic deficit, including altered mental status, a history of tumors, papilledema, change in their previous pattern of headache, a headache with positional change, if they've had trauma, changes in their vision, and of course, pregnancy and elevated blood pressures because we have to think about preeclampsia as, as obstetricians. Reasons for emergency evaluation include things like a thunderclap headache. So I just all of a sudden got this headache. It's the worst headache of my life. Horner syndrome or other neurologic deficits, concern for meningitis or encephalitis, papilledema, or possible carbon monoxide exposure. Outside of pregnancy, typical headache treatments for migraine can include things like NSAIDs or acetaminophen, and treating earlier in the course is generally more effective. And if unresponsive to that therapy, you can consider things like triptans or ergots, toradol, prochlorperazine, metoclopramide, um, and then some patients may need to be on triptans or beta blockers to prevent headaches in the long term. Tension headaches usually resolve with rest, hydration, and conservative measures like NSAIDs or acetaminophen, and then you can consider some of those same medications down the line for second-line therapy. Cluster headaches are the unique ones in this category because the first-line therapy should be oxygen. 100% oxygen inhalation can often help put a stop to the cluster headaches, um, but if it's not available, subcutaneous or intranasal sumatriptan is also helpful. Again, if you're using intranasal sumatriptan, give it on the contralateral side because of that rhinorrhea nasal congestion that might help prevent absorption. Prevention of the cluster headaches is also really important because again, these come in clusters. So even though you might fix the acute one, 30 minutes later, another one might be coming. Um, so verapamil is the agent of choice for initial preventive therapy that you can also use short courses of something like prednisone. In pregnancy, just a few changes here. So you may need to avoid NSAIDs, um, especially in the third trimester when you're concerned about the closure of the PDA. You can certainly still use things like Tylenol and metoclopramide and also combination therapies like butabletol, acetaminophen, and caffeine. And I also like to use things like even you know Benadryl or prochlorperazine, especially if that patient is also dehydrated and has nausea and vomiting. Fluids can also be considered, and even magnesium oxide or magnesium sulfate can sometimes be used to prevent frequent headaches. You can use NSAIDs potentially in a one-time dose basis in their second trimester um, or very early third trimester if they are really severely in pain and nothing else is working. But again, remember trying to avoid long-term use of NSAIDs. Third-line medications are things like opioids, and again, because they can be addicting and can worsen other issues associated with pregnancy like nausea, vomiting, and constipation. Triptans can be used in pregnancy if the headache is not responding to anything else. Most studies show exposure in pregnancy to triptans have been overall reassuring without any increased risk of major malformation. However, the data is quite limited and only has been done mostly on sumatriptan. Other things to consider for fractory are things like glucocorticoids or peripheral nerve blocks, some help from your emergency medicine or neurology colleagues there to do that. And the one thing to remember to avoid is ergotamine, which can be used outside of pregnancy, and that's simply because it can cause tetanic uterine contractions, and we definitely don't want that to be happening in a pregnant person where we don't want them to be delivering. All right. I think that does it for headaches. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. 
and this has been Kriogs Over Coffee. If you enjoy this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoffee1, on Instagram or Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, or if you love the show and want to send us some support, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Send us some love, we'll send you some swag. For show notes for this show and every other show, go ahead and go onto our website, www.CreogsOverCoffee.com. And finally, if you have a correction or a clarification you'd like from this episode or any of our previous episodes or a suggestion for the future, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.